This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love. You guys can be seated. So we are beginning a brand new series today that I'm really excited about. We are going to walk through the book of Ephesians. And so let me ask you to, to turn there uh, this morning. Um, Ephesians is just kind of, it's one of those books that is so foundational to our Christian lives. I mean, it's all there. W- what God has done for us in Christ, especially in it's six chapters in Ephesians. So chapters one through three are kind of done. It's what God has done for us. And so we see tons there about kind of who we are in Christ and the, the work that God has done on our behalf. And then in chapters four through six, it's, it's, about, it's about what we're to do in, in light of that, right? And so it's, it's all there in Ephesians, the, the, the work of Christ, the glories of the gospel, and kind of how we live that out practically in our lives. It's six chapters, 155 verses. It's, it's tightly packed. You, you can read the whole letter, um, you know, in half an hour or, or less. Um, and I would just encourage you uh, over the next few months, read through it again and again and again. And the themes will just begin to pop and, and explode. And it'll just mean so much as we, as we walk through it together Sunday by Sunday. So today, let's look at chapters, at, uh, verses 1 through 10 of chapter 1, which really just presents us with a cascade of blessings. This is all sort of one long sentence in Greek, and the Apostle Paul here is just pouring forth praise to God for his blessings, and it's like a waterfall. It's like a a cascade of God's blessings just coming down, right? So let's let's put ourselves beneath that waterfall of his blessings this morning. Let's look at verses 1 through 10 of chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. 
Uh, so, Father, we, we thank you for this incredible passage um, that is just cosmic in scope um, and yet so down to earth uh, in, for our, our lives. Uh, Lord, make us a grateful people. Make us people who, who, count, who count our blessings. Uh, instead of worrying so much or whining so much, make us people who are truly thankful. And we pray that you would use this passage by your spirit to, to help cultivate that within us. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm not sure where that, that phrase came from, to, to count sheep <laughs> before when you're trying to fall asleep at night. I suspect um, that that came about when the world was probably a lot more rural um, than it is today to, to, you know, to try to fall asleep while counting sheep. But you know what? I think it's a far better plan to do what, what Bing Crosby sang about in that, that great movie, White, White Christmas. There's a song in White Christmas where Bing Crosby sings, when I'm worried and I can't sleep, I count my blessings instead of sheep, right? Fall asleep counting your blessings. And, and as believers, listen, of all people, we should be people who count our blessings. And Ephesians 1, 1 through 10 is just one of those passages that helps us to do that because what we see in this text is just blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing that we enjoy as followers of Christ. So the first one that we see here, the first blessing is that we have been united to Christ, that we are, that we are united to Christ. So the body of the letter begins in verse three, and let's pick it up there. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. So that, that phrase, um, every spiritual blessing in the heavens. Your translation may read in the heavenly places or in the heavenly realms. What's, what's that all about? Well, chapter two kind of fills us out a little bit more. Look at Ephesians two and verse six. Chapter two and verse six. Paul says there that he also raised us up with him, with Christ, he also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens, or in the heavenly places, in the heavenly realms. He, he also raised us up with him, with Christ, and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. So again, what does all of this mean? So one day when Christ returns, we're gonna be raised physically bodily. When Jesus returns, we're going to be raised physically with glorified bodies, bodies that will no longer be subject to sin or suffering or death, right? But we have already, already as believers, we have been raised spiritually. We've already been raised spiritually spiritually from spiritual death and, and given new life. Now listen, every time that we celebrate baptism in our church, 
we see a picture of this. Just like last week, a couple people were, were, were baptized. Um, it's been great to see a lot of people being baptized recently in our church. Praise God for that. Because every time somebody is baptized, it's a picture of, of exactly what the scripture is talking about here. That, that they've passed from death to life. And so a lot, when people are baptized, you'll hear words from our pastors that are doing the baptizing that are coming from Romans 6, 4. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. So when somebody is baptized, what happens? They're, they're lowered beneath the water, which, which is about burial, Right? And then what happened? They're raised up out of the water. What is that? That picture is resurrection, right? They're raised to walk in newness of life. That's what we say is they're coming up out of the water, raised to walk in, in newness of life. In other words, it's picturing our, our, our union with Christ, our united to him in his death, united to him in his resurrection. We as believers are united to a savior who was crucified buried and has risen. And, and there has been a resurrection in our lives because the old is gone. It's buried, right? And, and the new has come. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. Now listen, that's who we are in Christ what we have to learn how to do is train ourselves to think that way. We have to train ourselves to think that way because we've been kind of ingrained, it's ingrained and we're kind of programmed by the old life not to think that way of ourselves. Um, but, but what we see in Ephesians is that we have a new identity in Christ and we have to learn how to, how to think according to what that new identity is. Because a lot of times we've, we're new in Christ, but yet our thinking, our thought patterns, and our living is still kind of stuck, you know, in, in the old way of life. And it's almost like we have to unlearn a lot of things that we learned and train ourselves to, to think in new ways as, as who we are, as new creations in Christ. Colossians 3.3 3, says, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We've been given a new life. But it's learning how to think that way. And that's why this series is subtitled, Becoming Who We Are. Because if, if you're a follower of Jesus, then, then you are a new creation in Christ. You've been given a position. That's your position in the Lord, right? You're forgiven. You're standing in grace. You're a new creation. All things have been made new. That is reality for you. That is your position in Christ. Ephesians is about our lives becoming in practice what we already are in position, right? So, Chapters one through three, there's a lot about our position in Christ. And in chapters four through six, there's a lot about our practice of, of living out the new life, of who we already are. In other words, it's about becoming who you are. 
It's about us becoming who we really are as new creations in Christ. It's about, it's about our walk matching who we've, we've already been made to be as new creations in, in, in Christ. And, and it's exciting. Now that phrase, in Christ, is huge in, in Ephesians. So let's, let's go back here to, to chapter 1 and verse 3. He says that, that, that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. In Christ. And we see that phrase over and over and over and over again throughout the letter to the Ephesians. That is our identity. We are a people who are in Christ. And that's where we, we have to find, that's where we find our identity in life. We live in a, in a world where people are trying to, to locate their identity in so many other things. I mean, we've seen over the past year especially, there are so many people in our culture that are seeking to find their identity in politics. You know, and by becoming a part of this tribe or, 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 or that tribe, whether it's on the right or the left or, or whatever, and, and that becomes their obsession. That becomes their religion. And, and they're trying to find identity, but they're trying to find it in the wrong way. And as followers of Jesus, spiritual health doesn't come by, by following uh, donkeys or elephants. It comes through following a lamb. It comes by gazing upon the lamb, upon Christ, the lamb who was slaughtered for you. The lamb whose blood was shed for you and whose body was broken for you. We, find, we have to find our identity in him, in Christ. There are a lot of people in our culture who try to find uh, their identity, you know, and it could be through sports teams or some recreation that they're obsessed with or whatever, and that becomes all-consuming. It could, it could even be your job. Today is Father's Day, I and mean, this is an issue with a lot of guys, especially because men, we, we can seek, a lot of times, we, we try to find our identity in what we do, in our vocation. But man, I want to tell you, your, your identity in life does not come from what you do. It comes from whose you are, who you belong to. You are a child of God before anything else. Today's a day when we think about family issues, but as precious as family life is, as precious as marriage is and parenting is, that can't be, if you're a follower of Jesus, that can't be your primary identity in life. If you're looking to your spouse to, to, to give you your identity and to complete you, as we often hear in our culture, you're putting a burden on another person that they are not meant to carry. They, they can never do that. They can never truly give you that fulfillment. That's got to come through Jesus. He's got to be first. If you're a parent here today, a dad or a mom, a lot of parents are tempted to try to find their identity through their kids and even sometimes to live out their dreams through their kids. And if you do that, you're going to take a relationship that is meant to be precious and you're going to introduce a dysfunction 
into that relationship and you're gonna put a burden on your kids that they will never be able to carry because they'll, 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 never, they'll never be able to, to do that for you. There's people, right? And your identity can't, it can't come through your, your, your kids. Your primary identity in life as a follower of Jesus has to come from Christ. You are a person in Christ. Come back to your first love. Jesus has gotta be number one. When Christ is not on the throne, then life goes awry. Other relationships become dysfunctional. But when Christ is first, everything else follows in its wake. We, we are united to Christ. You know, we, uh, identity theft is a big thing in our world today, I think this week I was, I was looking at my iPad and I get, uh, you get these notices on your, on your phone or your computer or, or, or whatever, you know, and I, I get this notice across the, the screen, you know, your, your, your passwords have been used in some kind of a breach or whatever, you know, and probably some scam, but you know, I, I see this stuff and I'm like, oh man, you know, like there's, there's some guy in his pajamas in Russia, you know, that's going to rob me blind, you know, of, of everything, you know, and, and so, I mean, I, identity theft's a big thing in, in, our, in our world, but, but you know what, the, the odds of that happening are probably pretty low, <laughs> but the odds of this other stuff creeping in and stealing your identity are great, <laughs> and they're great because they're so subtle. We've got to find our identity in him. We're united to Christ. Second, chosen in Christ. Chosen in Christ. It's a second blessing that we see here. in Verses four through six. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. So we should not run from the language that we see in scripture about being chosen. If, if we run from that kind of language, we're gonna run from a lot of the Bible. Because in both the Old Testament and New, I mean, we see tons of passages that talk about uh, God's choosing. God chose Abraham, God chose Israel. We see in the Old Testament God choosing this person and that person. I mean, it's sprinkled throughout the Old Testament, it's sprinkled throughout the Gospels, it's sprinkled throughout the Epistles, right? So that's absolutely true. You don't wanna run from any part of the Bible because it's all God's word. But what you also see in Scripture in both the Old Testament and New, running along kind of parallel tracks with that, is that human responsibility is real. And we make choices. We're not robots. And not only do we make choices, but we're held accountable for our choices. <laughs> and that includes the choice to repent and believe in Christ. But would any of us have ever follow Jesus? Would any of us have ever chosen him <laughs> unless he first chose us? I don't think so. And the reason I think that is because of what Ephesians 2.1 says about us. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. And you were, this is your life apart from Christ, before Christ, you were what? Dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked. 
And so before Christ, all of us were, were spiritually dead. We were spiritual corpses. So what does a spiritual corpse need in order to live? We gotta have a miracle. <laughs> we need resurrection. Fortunately, we have a God who specializes in miracles and who specializes in the miracle of resurrection. And he takes people who are spiritually dead and he makes them alive, which is what Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 is all about. Look at, look at chapter 2 and verses 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Praise God. So what are we chosen for? Well, first of all, we're chosen to be holy and blameless in love. Let's look at verse four again. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love. This reminds me so much of the things that God says about Israel in the Old Testament because God chooses Israel not so that Israel would sort of be a cul-de-sac, but that Israel would be a channel of his blessings to the rest of the world. God chose Israel to be a light, a light to the other nations that all peoples would, would know him. And that's kind of what Paul is saying here. When he says we're chosen to be holy and blameless in love, he's saying that God sets us apart as followers of Jesus to shine the beacon of his love to the rest of the world. So when you get up in the morning, right, you think about this is your mission, to shine his love. You, you are holy, to be holy and blameless in love. God's, God's, God's chosen you and set you apart for what purpose? To reflect his love to the world, to speak his love, to do works of love, right? To be a beacon of love shining out in a world that desperately needs love. So he chose us to be holy and blameless in love. And, and also in verse five, we see that we're chosen for adoption. We're chosen for adoption. Now we see the what of adoption here, the how of adoption, and the why of adoption. First of all, the what of adoption. It says in verse five that he predestined us to be adopted as sons, or certainly daughters as well. So um, in a first century Roman context, they understood that when, when, when an adoption took place, that the, the, the new, the adopted child was given all of the rights and privileges of, 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 of a child of that family. Well, as, as believers, <laughs> we are given all the rights and privileges of being sons and daughters of God of almighty God. So what does that mean? Romans 8 and verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. God has adopted you as his very own child, beloved child in Christ. That's the what of adoption. What about the how of adoption? How does that take place? 
Well, again, look at verse five. It says he predestined us to be adopted as sons, what? Through Jesus Christ. It's through Christ. John chapter one and verse 12 says, but to all who did receive him, Christ, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. We see the why of adoption in verse six. It's to the praise of his glorious grace. So when we get adopted as children of the Father, when we get adopted into God's family, we take on the family mission, the family business. And that's to be people who are, are, are spreading his glory that all peoples would, would praise him. First Peter chapter two and verse nine, but you were a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So God has, has taken you, adopted you as his own, why? So that you would proclaim his praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his light that other people would be called out of darkness into light. Chosen in Christ. The third blessing that we see here is that we are redeemed by Christ. Redeemed by Christ. Let's look at verses seven and eight. So it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses in order according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding, redemption. Now, when the Bible talks about redemption, when you see the word redemption or redeemed in, in your Bibles, you should think about the Exodus. Think about liberation from slavery. When the biblical writers talk about redemption, the Exodus experience is either, it's, it's in their minds. Um, so what happened in the Exodus in the Old Testament? God's people were set free. They were redeemed from being slaves in Egypt. How did that happen? God told them to sacrifice a, a lamb without blemish and they were to take part of that lamb and they were to have a special meal with that lamb and then they were to take the blood of that lamb and do what? Put it on the doorpost of their homes, above the door, on the sides of the door. And that night, the death angel would pass over their homes and they would be spared and they would be redeemed if they were under the blood of the lamb. Now, when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper the night before he goes to the cross, that's a Passover meal. That was a Passover. They were celebrating Passover that night. But as they're celebrating that, the Passover meal, Jesus transforms it. Jesus gets to the part where they eat the bread and Jesus holds it up and he says, this is my body broken for you. Jesus gets to the part where they take the cup and Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Because he knew that the very next day he was gonna go out and die on a cross as the Passover lamb, 
that all the other Passover lambs were pointing to. And he did that so that we could be redeemed. Redeemed from something much worse than slavery in Egypt. Redeemed from bondage to sin and death. Redemption through his blood. And what does that include? Again, look at verse seven. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Mark Dever is, is a pastor in DC and his, his church is right, right at Capitol Hill. And a lot of times he and his wife Connie will take their dogs walking right beside the Congressional Cemetery on Capitol Hill. So you're walking past the graves of all these people that have served in Congress, you know, like really powerful people during their lives. But, but now, that's a, that's a walking path, right? You got people walking their dogs, people jogging. And so they walk by, they jog by, and they're just sort of oblivious to all the, the, the graves of all these powerful people that are, that are, that are right there. And just kind of reflecting on that, Dever says this, reflecting on these once powerful people, Dever writes, but do you know what matters most now and forever is this? Were they forgiven? Whether they were in Congress for one term or five, were they forgiven? And then he shares a story from his friend D.A. Carson, he's a New Testament scholar, and D.A. Carson's dad was a very a faithful pastor in Canada for, for, for many years. Nobody had ever heard of him. He was just kind of quietly serving the Lord. And Carson says this, when dad died, there were no crowds outside the hospital, no notice in the papers, no announcements on television, no mention in parliament, no notice in the nation. In his hospital room, there was only the quiet hiss of oxygen Faintly, vainly venting because dad had stopped breathing and would never need it again. But on the other side, the trumpet sounded. Dad wanted admittance to the only throne room that matters, not because he was a good man or a great man, because he was a forgiven man. Christ's redemption, redemption through his blood includes the forgiveness of sins. And what does that forgiveness flow from again verse 7 it's according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us his riches I'd rather have Jesus than anything <laughs> this world affords today redeemed by Christ fourth destiny in Christ destiny in Christ. Verses nine and 10. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. Now we're gonna spend much more time in verses nine and 10 next week because it's so key to Ephesians, but I wanna touch on it right now. So in the Exodus, when God's people were redeemed, from slavery in Egypt, God brought them out of Egypt, headed to where? Promised land. 
we have been redeemed from bondage to sin and death, and we too are headed to the promised land. It's ultimate promised land. <laughs> it's the promised land that, that Paul is talking about here in verses nine and 10. What he's saying is that when, when Christ returns, that all things, the, all, the whole creation, is gonna be brought together in him. Everything wrong will be made right. Everything sad will come untrue. All things will be brought together in Christ. That's our, that's our destiny as believers. That's where we're headed. Now in the Lord's Supper, we look back and we look forward. We look back to what Jesus has done for us. His broken body, his shed blood. Do this in remembrance of me. But we also look forward. The Bible says that whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We look forward to that day when Christ returns and all things, things in heaven and things on earth, are brought together in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the glories of the gospel. We thank you that you have, have, have set your love on undeserving sinners like us and, and redeemed us just by your grace. Not because we've earned it or deserve it, but just purely because of your love and mercy and grace. And so, Lord, now as we take part in the supper that you ordained, may we be drawn near to your heart of love. Take us into a deeper understanding of the love of Jesus for us and make us more people ready to go out and share that love with a world that needs to hear it. And it's in Christ's name that we pray, amen. So when you came in today, hopefully you received one of these. It's a little Lord's Supper kit. If you did not, if you, if you wanna take part in the Lord's Supper today, um, and listen, if, you are, if you're here as a follower of Jesus, you are, we invite you to take part in this. But if you did not get one of these and you wanna participate, if you just rate, let, let us know that right now. We've got ushers. You can raise your hand if you, if you, if you need these and we'll make sure that that you're, you're ready to go. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna invite you right now just to uh, peel back the top layer. The Apostle Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 11, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and after giving thanks, broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said, take and eat, this is my body. And now if you peel back the second layer, the Bible says that in like manner after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus said, drink, all of you. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for your great love that you, you gave your son for us, that, that his blood was shed, his body was, was broken for sinners like us. We, we pray that you'd make us a people who are really locked in and focused on the centrality of the gospel, of what Christ has done for us, um, and, and make us a people who are ready to go forth and to share that with a world who needs Christ. It's in his name that we pray. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 